for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. All right. So I am in Mark chapter 13. So if you want to turn there, as most of you know, we, we've been going through Mark, taking one chapter at a time or just a segment out of each chapter, and then teaching on that segment. And so today I'm going to teach out of Mark chapter 13, uh, 1 through 13, which is a, a lot of information to cover, but that's okay. I think it's it'll be God-honoring at the end, as, as I pray it is always. So I'm going to read. I'm going to start with reading this time. I don't typically do that, but I'm going to start at least the first few verses. It says... As he, that is Jesus, was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which has not been torn, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us then, or tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? I need you guys to get your head around what they're looking at. And so I'm going to try to spend a little time talking about what they're looking at. As many of you know, I, I'm not intending, you to give a, intending to give you a necessarily a geography lesson, but I do want you to pay attention to the environment they were sitting in. They were sitting in the Mount of Olives, which was across from the Kidron Valley, as we've stated a couple weeks ago in one of another sermon I did. And they're looking at what is the southeast end of the temple. Now, let me tell you about the temple. I think they're astounded. When Jesus said there will be a time when not a single stone will be standing, that probably blew their mind. Let me tell you why. Because the temple was enormous. Just the foundation, the floor by which the temple was set, was 1,500,000 square feet and one-sixth of the size of the city of Jerusalem. So for every six feet in the city, one of those feet, square feet, belonged to the temple. That's how big this thing was. On the edge that they were looking at, it rose from the floor of the valley upwards of 200 feet. And we're just talking about the foundation. We're not even talking about the temple itself, just the foundation from which the temple sat on. That's how big this thing is. Now, imagine if you can, sitting there, seeing the ginormity of this thing, and I've been there, and this foundation is created of stones that are the size of that wall, some bigger, some a little smaller, tons and tons and tons of just rock-solid stones mounted one on top of another. And as big as that is, and as incredible as it is that they were able to build it, the fact that it would no longer exist at some point, probably had the disciples, it would have me having seen it, the foundation that is, had them going, what? How is this possible? One-sixth of our city is this temple grounds. But not only were they saying that because of the magnitude of it, but because of the beauty of it. The temple was carved, or not carved, but laid in white stone, bleached white stone. 
And so if you were approaching the city from any direction except for the southeast direction, which I'll explain in just a moment, all you would see rising into the city of Jerusalem is this bleached white, beautiful, perfect white stone. And it was said that hitting in the morning, as you looked at it, it looked like a snow-capped mountain. It had been beautiful. Now, the area in which they were sitting, they were facing the southeast side of the temple. And the southeast side, because that's the side when the sun came up, it would shine against. The people that built that intentionally laid the southeast side of the temple in gold. It was the only portion of the temple that was laid in gold, but that side of the temple and the temple mount was, or the temple foundation was solid gold. Imagine the sun cresting into that. They said it would, the sun would hit that so magnificently, so brightly, so beautifully that you'd have to avert your eyes. It was like literally staring into the sun. Josephus, the ancient historian, said that there was nothing in the temple that caused the eye to think that it lacked anything in beauty. Not to mention the colonnades, the porches, the fact that tens of thousands of people could come and worship in this one space. It was, it was phenomenally beautiful, and it was incredibly large. And Jesus just made this declaration. He says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And looking at it, they had to they had to have had their mind blown. And in fact, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. It's another lesson. And they asked the question that the parallel story in Matthew 24, 3 asked. And Matthew 24, 3 is to tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus, in verses 5 through 11, gives four indicators of things to come. And that's, that's what I want to talk about today. And here they are. First one. Actually, I'm just going to read 5 through 13 first. Jesus began to say to them, in explanation of this question, So see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. These things must take place. But that is not the end. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be, in, be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. But you will be hated by all, Everybody say all, because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And these passages 5 through 13 read out of our 
just straight off the screen of our news reports, our newspapers, our magazines, our social medias. Literally everything that Jesus is saying will happen is happening. Amen? And I want to talk about what those four things are because I believe we have a great theology. The church, when I say we, I mean the church, has a great theology of grace and mercy. But we have a horrible theology in regards to sorrow and suffering. And we need to consider that there are things coming that we will have to stand firm against the advances and the attacks of the enemy and the advances and the attacks of mankind provoked by that enemy. Amen? And so I want to talk to you about those things. First, first things first, it probably most significantly, there will be deception of many. See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying I am he and will mislead many. There will be prophets. There will be messiahs. Somebody will be saying all the time and is always saying and has always said, I am the Messiah. There's somebody in Jerusalem right now, as we speak, that's hitting the news that even some of the Jews are recognizing or saying is the Messiah right now. There will always be false teachers. There will always be false prophets. There will always be messiahs. Our job is to ensure that in this deception that we pay attention. Amen? Peter and John say it beautifully. And in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, he says this, but false prophets also arose among the people. There, just as there will always be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Guys, we're surrounded by destructive heresies. They're misleading, intentional misleading from pulpits. People that should be paying attention that belong to God. We are allowing ourselves to be led astray because we're not adhering to the truth of God's word proclaimed without compromise. Just as there will always be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You want to pay attention? You want to know if you're listening to a false teacher or a false prophet? Let me tell you what they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you they're not going to talk about Jesus because there's no Holy Spirit actively moving in them, and the Holy Spirit is intended to magnify and glorify the name of Jesus. So you're not going to hear Jesus consistently out of their mouth, and whatever they do will be to their own benefit. If you could take these two things, set them aside, any other false teacher or false prophet, if they, if they match any one of those things, their ministry mirrors any of those two things, I will tell you, be careful that you're not drawn in by their sensuality. Because a true prophet, a true teacher, will speak as the Messiah spoke. And that is a true message. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, according to the book of John. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? What am I trying to do? I'm just trying to equip you 
for the horribleness that is here and the more horrible things that are coming. And I know I sound, I put on social media, I, I feel like I, I sound like Chicken Little. Oh no, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Let me assure you, God holds the sky up for those who trust him to have faith in him. But the world around you will be doing everything it can to draw you into their sensuality. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the way. That means he's the only path by which we get to heaven and get to stay there. You guys have heard me. Every religion will lead you to heaven. That's an absolute truth. But only one way, that is Jesus, will allow you to stay there past the judgment. He is the truth, the only reality of salvation. That he, because he gave his own life as a propitiation for us, as a replacement and absorbed the wrath of God, absorbed the penalty of death that we deserve, he is the only truth that allows for salvation. And he is the only life. It means only in him, not in any of these other fallacies, any of these other heresies, any of these other distractions, are you going to find any way into heaven except for Jesus. He is the hope of eternal life with God. Amen? I just want to be clear about that. I want to make sure there's no one misunderstanding of where I stand and where Launch Point Church stands, the people who attend Launch Point Church stand. We believe in Jesus. Amen? As planned by the Father, as provoked by the Spirit, we believe that we are saved by the work of Jesus Christ. I tell you that because the end is coming and heresies will happen, and there will be false teachers, and there will be false messiahs. I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the idea. We have to start paying attention, which means we need to start paying attention to the nuance of people's speech too. If they're only telling you good things and not telling you the truth of what's coming, then they are not telling you the whole truth and are by proxy false teachers. I have to tell you the sin that you're in to understand the grace that you've been given so that you might be able to walk in the grace that you've been given, so that you might be able to see that eternity that we all long for. Everybody all right? Not only is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, he's the only message throughout Scripture. Starting with Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you take John 1.1, parallel it next to that verse, in the beginning was the Word, was with God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was at the beginning with God. So God was at the beginning, and the Word is God. And in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in the beginning was who? God, and with him was the Word, and the Word did what? Became flesh so that we might have a propitiation for our sin, so that he might atone for our sin. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because it doesn't matter what side of the book you start on or what side of the book you end on. It's all going to talk about Jesus and the redemptive plan God made for your salvation. Do not be distracted by the foolishness of false teaching. All right. And Lord knows there's plenty of foolishness. In the church, 
People are like, man, you should talk bad about the church all the time. No, I talk bad about the false church all the time. The true church standing up with Jesus and not opposed to Jesus is the only church. Churches that talk about horoscopes and new age mysticism and witchcraft and practice these things from their platforms are destructive, misleading, and will guide the person believing in that foolishness straight into hell with them. Oh man, you were saying some mean things today. No, I told you at the beginning. We we have a great theology of grace and mercy. We need a better theology of suffering. There are people in the world calling themselves churches that believe in karma. Well, what comes around goes around. Unless you're saved. Because let me tell you, it's not what I do, it's who I know. Now, I'm responsible to do some things, but my who I'm going to be in the next life, the only eternal life, not the reincarnated life, because that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell too. But an eternal life is based on the declaration I make, not what I've done. Praise God for that, because I don't know about y'all, but I've done some stuff that were it not for grace and mercy, I'd be doomed. What am I saying? Probably too much. Trust Jesus. Everything else is going to fall away. In Acts chapter 5, there's an interesting story. A couple of the apostles get drawn in front of the Sanhedrin and they're defending themselves or essentially just saying, who are we to... Who are we to um, hear you, you or Jesus? Are we supposed to talk about you or are we supposed to talk about Jesus? And so they send them away and the Sanhedrin take counsel with one another. And this old guy, a little bit wiser than the rest of them, named Gamaliel, steps up. And Gamaliel says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we kill them, before we do anything crazy, let's think about this. He said, before him, before Jesus, there was this guy, Thaddeus. And Thaddeus had 400 people following him. He died and they dispersed. And then there was another guy named Judas. Not the Judas we gave Jesus up, another Judas. And a bunch of people followed him and then he died and they scattered. And he said, let's just wait. Let's just see what this Jesus, he's allegedly dead now. Let's just see if his people scattered. And we haven't scattered. You know why? Because we ain't following Thaddeus. We're not following Judas. We're not following Muhammad. We're not following any of these other people that are still in the ground. We're following the one true living Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Do not be deceived, brethren. And if I didn't say anything else the rest of the night, I think that would be enough. But he told us to pay attention. Not just to this truth, not just the truth that there is a, there will be false teaching. He goes on. He said, in regard to these things, there will also be devastation. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Man, that hits home. My daughter calls me. She's a little anxious by nature. She's always been that way. 
But she'll call me and go, man, what do you think about what's happening in Ukraine? Or what do you think is happening in Russia? Or what do you think is happening with the stock market? Or what do you think is happening with the banks? And blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I think Jesus. Let me tell you, I'm not big enough to solve any of those problems, but my God is. And so I'm just going to have peace and joy in the fact that I serve a God that could take care of all those problems anyway. Wars and rumor of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Wars are going to happen because wars have always happened. In the last, I wrote some statistics here. I did a little research. In the last 3,400 years in human history, the last 3,400 years of human history, there's only been 268 years of peace. That's 8% of the last 3,400 years of human history has been peaceful. 108 million people were killed in war just in the 20th century. It is estimated that throughout human history in wartime conflict, 150 to 1 billion people have been killed due to war and conflict. It's no small matter, and it's only going to get worse. There's 50 wars going on right now, and you're only hearing about one of them. It's the nature of man to fight other men. It's the sin nature of man. Whether provoked by honor or provoked by righteousness, it doesn't matter. Men will fight men. Our job is to recognize that God holds us regardless. Wars, rumors of wars, destruction. How much time are you spending worrying more about that and worshiping less? Because at the end of the day, God is capable. But Pastor Jim, you don't understand, we need peace in the world. Before you can create peace in the world, you need to create peace in your own six-foot circle. And the Bible says that there's a formula for doing that. Prayer. Prayer. A supplication, which is just a big word for ask God questions. Ask God requests. Prayer, supplication with a heart of thanksgiving. I have a heart of thanksgiving. I'm thankful when I pray for something. I'm to get this. I'm thankful. You see, many of you have heard me say this before, but I tell you, I, I watch people struggling. I'm all just get this. This plus this equals this. Prayer plus supplication with a heart of thanksgiving, which means I'll say, God, I need this, and then start being thankful for it, shows not only thankfulness, but a heart of expectation, which is by definition faith. And the Bible says a faith-filled prayer will be answered in the name of Jesus. And so I pray. And then the Bible says I have the peace of God. Can I tell you whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, whatever conflict's going on in your life around you or around the world, pray with supplication, 
with a heart of expectation, that is faith, and the peace of God will come around you. Amen. Fact of the matter, I tell you that because it's important. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to get any better. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famine. None of that's going to get any better until Jesus comes back. There's going to be the greatest conflict of all time, the greatest war of all time in the Battle of Armageddon, and Jesus wins that fight. Amen? I think if the Christian could get a hold of the fact that if I die, it's okay. Man, life would be so much easier. But y'all, you don't know what I got vested, man. I got grandbabies. I want to see my great-grandbabies one day. Some of y'all looking forward to seeing babies and grandbabies. But God is still a God of peace and love and protection. Don't worry about the fight. Worry about the one that's already won the fight. Amen? So we see all of these things. And then thirdly, there will be the distress of persecution. 9 through 12, but, on your, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you from the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must, be first, must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, <clears throat> do not worry beforehand about what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it's not you that speaks, but it's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's important in the life of the believer because when persecution comes, let me tell you, I'm just going to get out front of this. When persecution comes, you just need to fill your mouth with what you know. And what I know and the conversations my wife and I have had and the conversations we had when we were kids is I don't care if they tell you you denied Jesus or we're going to shoot your parents in hell. I know that's a horrible conversation to have. We waited till they were a little older. You better to not deny Jesus and I will see you when you get there. Amen? Amen? But maybe even use that opportunity to tell them about Jesus because I'm not scared to die. You shouldn't be scared to die either. So we need the Holy Spirit to stand strong. We need the Holy Spirit to testify to the truth so that the whole world may hear of the gospel. Man, that's a, which is super easy these days. Get on your social media. Write a letter. Write an email. It's just too easy not to tell somebody about Jesus to not take the responsibility of telling people about Jesus. But the point he's making really here is about persecution. I was in a missionary meeting one time. It wasn't very, it's probably five years ago. And these missionaries were from Africa. And some of them had been beat, I'm sorry, not Africa, India. And some of them had been beat on and put in prison. And a couple of their friends had been murdered and their houses burned down and on and on and on. They were telling all these horrible stories. And so me all, I'm all spiritual. I walk up to them after the meeting. I'm, so, I'm going to pray that the persecution stop. And this brother looked at me deadpan serious and said, don't do that. I said, what? He said, pray that we have strength to stand in persecution and that in persecution, God be glorified and our persecution will be worth it. That's the, we're largely insulated in the United States from persecution. We go, oh, they hated on me on Facebook. That's not persecution. Nobody's flogging you to death. Nobody's peeling your skin away from a muscle. Nobody's burning your house down or killing your kids. That's persecution. Some of our very own missionaries, you guys know, some of you know because we've talked about it. We have a missionary that was preaching in his home. 
Hindus came in, destroyed his home, stabbed him while he was preaching, put him in the hospital, thought he was going to die. He got out of the hospital, however many month and a half later, went immediately back to preaching. And so he was driving his bicycle from city to city, a little area, a little village to village. And another Hindu ran him over because he knew he was a Christian. His son was on the back, jacked his son all up, broke his leg, did a bunch of stuff to him. He healed from that and is still preaching today. We need to learn to stand firm in persecution because persecution's coming. Amen? It's okay. Make that decision. But make it right now. So you don't have to make it when the fire comes. Amen? So anyway, I could go on and on about, on about that. Surely persecution is going to happen. There have been approximately, according to the study, whoever did it, 70 million people have been murdered. Murdered, not just persecuted. Murdered for the sake of Christ. Peter and Paul were martyred in Rome. Thomas was speared to death in India. Matthew was speared, stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James was stoned, then clubbed to death in Syria. Paul talks about all the times he was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead. And I ain't looking forward to persecution. But if somebody gets saved by my death, so be it. And I'm not up here trying to be macho. I'm up here telling you the things that Paul and all these other people would have said to you, did in fact say to you. Amen? And we can do it if we know there's a Savior. And we know there's a Savior. 10,000 years from now, 100,000 years from now, million years from now, how I died is going to be a memory I probably won't even have. Isn't that awesome? I read an illustration. And I shared it on Facebook some weeks ago. It was uh, some book I was reading maybe a decade ago. And he said, eternity lasts so long that if you took a solid steel ball the size of the earth, solid to the core, and allowed one drop of water to drip on it a year, eternity will not have even started by the time that single drop of water would have totally and completely destroyed that sphere. And I'm worried about what's happening today. It's time for us to stand firm. Amen. And number four, you will be hated because of, by all of these because of my name. That's what I just told you. But there will be a deliverance for the believer. He says, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Isn't that glorious? I'm going to leave you with this. James 1, 2, and 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the test of your faith produces endurance. And let its endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing so that you might spend eternity with God through Christ Jesus. Amen.